Oh, Brian, you're, you're well, oh, okay. okay. This is, this is why, oh, wait, hold on one sec. I'm hearing an echo. Can you hear an echo? I will edit I, this part out. Did I you did hear it? Hear an echo. No, you did not hear it. Okay. Maybe we're okay. We're going to edit it out, Brad. That's the beauty of a podcast, but maybe we won't because this has failed it and we got to keep it real. You know what I mean? Hey there, my name is Erin Deal, and I'm a half-Southern, half-Midwestern mama, some call this voice a nasal twang, who took $5,000 to build and scale a one-of-a-kind experiential organization that improves the lives of corporate professionals through personal development, humanity, and humor. Along the way, I've built client relationships with some of the most notable companies in the country, all while attracting a rock star team of experts and hilarious facilitators. Sounds pretty awesome, right? Well, what I didn't tell you is that my resume also includes a long list of comedy shows I bombed, improv teams I didn't make, companies who told me no, and many a heartache when it came to becoming a mother. I want to show you the real deal of the grit, creativity, and determination it takes to overcome your disappointments, embrace the suck, and design the career you could only dream about. I believe we all have our own unique gifts that we bring to the world, and it is our mistakes that help to unwrap them. Welcome to Failed It. Welcome to Failed It, the podcast that reminds you, you have to fail in order to improve. I'm Erin Deal, the founder of Improve It and your host and friends and Failed It family. Today, I have the man, the myth, the legend, Brad Karsh on Failed It. Welcome, Brad, to Failed It. Oh, my God, Aaron. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, my God. This is a long time coming, Brad Karsh. I, I like to say your full name. You're like my husband, John Deal. I always say his full name, Brad Karsh. You're Brad Karsh. There's no Brad. It's Brad Karsh to me. Um, and I want to just share with the Failed It family how we met because this story is really one for the ages. You and I were introduced not by my husband who knew you, but by his friend and coworker, John. And I remember my husband, John, kept being like, you've got to meet Brad Karsh. You've got to meet Brad Karsh because we'll get into what you do in just a moment. Um, And so we met and I'll never forget. I was still at my full-time job. We met at the Starbucks on Chicago Avenue in Chicago. It was like a cold day in December, much like where we're at right now. And I said, Brad, I want to do this business called Improve It. And I told you about it. And you're like, yeah, well, you should do it. And you should quit your job. Just do it. And you said, rip the Band-Aid. And I came home and I told John Deal that. And he was like, Dang it, Karsh. And <laughs> because at the time we weren't sure if it was going to work, but because of you, we are here today, my friend. So thank you. Oh my gosh. It was the least I could do. <laughs> I mean, that was, that was a few years ago, Brad. That was probably 2000 and I want to say 13 or 14. So a lot, about six years ago. And you have just been a mentor to me ever since. And so your whole team has. I love what I like to call the sisters at JB Training because there's mostly females who work internally in the office and they're just an amazing group of women. So 
I want to start off today by reading your bio here to the Field of Family because you have got some success. So you are the founder and CEO of JB Training Solutions. You're an accomplished public speaker and generational expert. Also, you've been featured on CNN, CNBC, and Dr. Phil, and you have been quoted in all but one of the following publications, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, Fortune, USA Today, and Tiger Beat. I I would like to say that you were probably in Tiger Beat. Is that fair to say? Well, I was a little bit of a teen heartthrob, but I never actually made it into Tiger Beat, if you can believe it. (laughs) Okay. And you're also the author of three business books, including The Critically Acclaimed Manager 3.0, A Millennial's Guide to Rewriting the Rules of Management, which you can read in Mandarin, assuming you can read Mandarin. Now, prior to creating JB Training Solutions, you spent 15 years at an advertising agency. Some might know, it's a small name, Leo Burnett in Chicago. And today you travel the world or will safely return to traveling the world, um, speaking at major organizations, including Google, Marriott, Discover, Eli Lilly, and the Chicago Blackhawks, among many others. And you also present annually at the Society for Human Resource Management National Conference, and you were ranked number one out of more than 200 speakers. Now, I want our team and Field at Fam here to know that when you're not enjoying a copious buffet, we can find you playing racquetball or drafting the perfect fantasy football roster. You are also left-handed. So these are facts that we needed to know. Brad Karsh, you were nailing it, my friend, in the failing it department. What a a journey. What a journey. I know. It's funny. None of those things you read, Aaron, are even true. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I feel like I'm so grateful that, you know, We've we've now we we played two truths and a lie and the whole and the whole thing was a lie. There weren't any truths involved. And I'm so happy, you know, you have you've I mean, truly though, Brad, thinking of all this this, you know, verbiage I just read, does any of it when you hear it are you like, oh my God, this is my life? Does it seem crazy? Does it seem like you thought you would be here when you you know, many moons ago before you started JB, which has now been about what, 17-ish years that you've been in existence? Yeah. No, I mean, honestly, none of that stuff I envisioned when I began. And even now, it's really hard to imagine that many of those things actually did, in fact, happen because it's been a crazy ride. And it was really, if we're getting into the content of the day, part of the reason that all that stuff is unbelievable is because in the early stages, especially, and always throughout this company was riddled with reams of failure. Mm. Mm. Okay. I want to, I want to get into that. I want to start prior to that. When you were at Leo Burnett, people might've heard of it. It's a small agency. Um, It's actually the largest advertising agency, I believe in the world. And you were there for 15 years and then you decided to make this leap into starting your own business, becoming an entrepreneur, what made you want to do that? Well, I loved my time there at Leo Burnett and I had a million friends and I loved the place and I loved the work and it was so exciting. But the company went through a bit of a transformation. So the last year or so that I was there, it went from privately held to publicly held and a lot of things sort of changed. So I thought, you know, maybe it's time for me to move on. So that was sort of what was the spark 
for me to leave. And at the time, I had begun my career doing the business side of advertising, account management stuff, working with our clients, but then had transitioned into HR and was doing a lot of our recruiting back then. That was my main job responsibility in addition to a little bit of training. So I thought, all right, maybe it's time to leave, do my own thing, and focus on some of this recruiting stuff that I really loved. Got it. Okay. And then you started JB, right? And you started off, I remember you telling me this a while ago, because I was fascinated with your career, because I was like, how did you do this? How did you leave corporate? Because at the time that you and I met, that is exactly what I was doing. So how did you navigate the first couple of years starting JB? Wasn't it through sort of a recruiting resume-ish type role? Tell us about that. So Aaron, everyone always says, what's the JB stand for? Is the B, Brad? No, the JB stands for job bound. So when I left Leo Burnett, I I was doing recruiting and mostly college entry-level recruiting. And I loved it. I'd go to the college campuses. We'd hire like 100 people a year. And one of the things that always amazed me was how poorly written so many of these resumes were. And I read 10,000 resumes as the recruiting director there, and 99% of them could have been improved. And, and we recruited at schools like Illinois, Northwestern, Harvard, Princeton, like really good schools, but the resumes just weren't that great. So my business model was I was going to help college students write their resumes, and I was going to teach them what it was like and talk about how they could interview and network and and write great resumes to land their first jobs. So in essence, looking back at it now, speaking of failing it, here was my here was my business plan, Aaron. I was going to target the most debt-laden group of people <laughs> in the entire country and offer them a service, resume writing, that they would have to pay for in spite of the fact that their college career center would do it for free. How's that for a business plan? I want a lot of business writing competition for that one. Oh, Brian, you're, well, okay. So we're, we're here. You've started JB, which I, first and foremost, I have never known what JB stood for. So I'm fascinated that job bound is what the JB is for. I've literally thought it was like, who's the J and then it's the Brad. That's, or maybe I was like, baby Brad's his middle name. I never, I never asked that question. So look what, look what happened here. Um, I Nancy drew my way into that mystery. So now you've started your business. It was just you. And then you and I've had so many talks about this. So I know this story and I want to share it with the failed it fam because Perhaps somebody listening today is, you know, I'm in corporate and they want to start their own business and they have no idea how to make that first hire. Or maybe they're a leader on a team and they've never had to hire their first hire for their team before. You and I both have had to do that and something that we both feel very passionate about, which is our businesses. And you found the one and only Courtney Templin as your first full-time hire. And you were there with me when I brought on my first full-time hire, Allie Keller, our director of operations here. And both of those women have been backbones of our businesses. And, you know, Courtney's been with you this entire time. So what lesson did you take from that first hire of hiring Courtney? And what have you learned as it comes to hiring over the years when it comes to hiring great talent? What did that first hire teach you? No, that's a great question, Aaron. So it took a couple years 
given my terrible business plan idea, before I evolved job bound into something that was a little bit more sustainable. And I reached the point after about two and a half years where I thought, well, maybe I could even grow this business a little bit bigger. Not that it was all that big if I brought someone on board. So I consider myself to be really, really bad at a lot of business things. Like if you listen to all the things that a business person needs to have, and let's say there's a hundred, I'm really bad at 97 of them. But the one thing that I'm pretty good at is hiring. And mm. obviously it comes from my background, right? I, I read 10,000 resumes. I heard thousands, you know, hundreds of people at my old company. So I felt passionately and strongly like I know you do, right? Because of your background about hiring. So when I set out to bring in that first person, I knew how important it was. Now, while I hired a ton of people at Leo Burnett and a company that's got thousands of employees, if you make one mistake, eh, all right, not the end of the world. But when you have a company of one person, if you make a mistake in that person that you hire, that's 50% of your workforce. So it's, it's not acceptable. Now, I had an extraordinary advantage versus most people that were hiring, although the concept certainly can be shared by others. And that was, I was in the business of writing people's resumes. So when you write someone's resume, they tell you everything that they did, and you kind of help them craft it in a way that's going to sound powerful and compelling and provocative. But they're really, really honest with you because I'm not hiring them. I'm just helping them write their resume. So I'd write resumes of people who say, hey, Brad, here was my title and here are the people who reported to me. But between you and me, I didn't really do much of anything. And I had other people saying to me, hey, listen, this is my title, but my manager was gone and my manager's manager was gone. So I was the acting director, even though I was blah, 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 blah. And as I wrote these resumes for people that I really liked, I kind of put them off to the side in case anytime a friend asked and said, hey, do you know anyone good? Well, when I I actually wrote Courtney's resume and I was blown away. So I had this stack of, I don't know, 20, 25 resumes, all levels of people. But the number one resume on top of that was Courtney's. So when it came time for me to hire someone, this was, I don't know, four or five months after I had written her resume, I went back to that stack. I looked and I was like, she would be perfect for this job. So what I tried to do, and I think this is important when you are hiring for for a startup, your number two employee, whatever it's going to be, I tried to marry all the benefits that I remembered from my days at Leo Burnett, like big company stuff with the benefits of a tiny little company that can be remarkably flexible. So we had some big company perks, like we tried to have outings and we tried to put together a bonus plan and a profit sharing plan and all the health and pay for health insurance. But at the same time, it was like, eh, wear whatever you want. And the hours are kind of flexible, things that you might not have been able to do back in those days at a bigger company. Mm. That's what I did to make sure that I brought someone in that was going to be amazing. And she has been with you the entire time, which I love so much. And, and truly your team is amazing. I adore each one of them and I know them and they have helped me and you have helped me in so many ways. So kudos because you made some great hires because they're great papes, Brad. You really have. Now, I want to I want to kind of pivot this. So you've got Courtney now on board. You've started to kind of, you know, develop this business a little into the training. How did you go from resume writing and parlay that into speaking and training? Yeah. So 
As I told you, this business plan of writing college students' resumes wasn't looking that great. But I'm one of those people like, you can hit me in the face 15 times and I'll be like, "Ah, all right, I'll try one more time and see what happens. So I wasn't about to give up this resume writing thing. I figured it would work. But what I realized is I used to go to college campuses and I would speak for free. I give a talk called Confessions of a Recruiting Director, all about resume writing and interviewing. And then I'd say, hey, I'm going to hang around tomorrow and I'll write your resume for you. So I literally went to the first college, University of Illinois. I give this presentation. There were 200 people in the audience and they love this presentation. And at the end, I say, hey, I'm going to hang around tomorrow. You can sign up, have your resume written. And someone said, well, how much does it cost, Brad? And I said, $99. And there was a collective gasp in the room. People were like, <gasps> like, oh my God, that's the most amount of money I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> and I remember thinking, Okay, there's 200 people in the room. I know 195 need a new resume. Like, I bet 80 to 100 sign up. Well, six people signed up. And then I went to my next school, and I spoke to 75 people. And I hung around the next day, and nobody showed up. And then the next school I went to, there were 50 people. And the next day, nobody showed up. But what I started to realize was that people liked this presentation that I was delivering for free. And I sort of pivoted the business while I still wrote resumes. I didn't think of that as the main source of revenue. And I sort of pivoted and became a public speaker where I would talk on college campuses and groups would bring me in and pay me. Now, that was an evolution that took many, many, many years because I had trouble getting free gigs initially. So I had to build up a little bit of credibility before I would find organizations that would pay me. Now, at the same time I was giving that presentation, I had another little workshop that I gave. It was all about the things that you don't really know about work when you go from student to professional. So if you're an accounting major, let's say they teach you a lot about numbers and balance sheets, but they don't teach you a class on how to deal with your boss. And they don't teach you what business etiquette looks like. And they don't tell you the unwritten rules of corporate America. And from my position of hiring all those people at my old company, I found so many bright, amazing, accomplished, talented students that would really struggle when they got to work, not because they weren't smart, but they didn't know about this transition, which I still maintain is the most difficult transition you ever make in your entire life. So I had this program called The Right Start, and I delivered it to a couple of college campuses and then a couple of companies that were hiring lots of interns and new hires would have me deliver to their intern or new hire class. And I was doing that for several years. And then after a handful of years, right around the time Courtney started, one of those companies said to me, hey, Brad, you know, we, we like your style. We like the way you deliver and we like this class. But do you do anything for more seasoned people like on communication skills? And as any good entrepreneur knows, when you get asked a question like that, your answer is, of course we do. Mm-hmm. You taught me that, Brad. You taught me that. We do that? What do you mean? Of course we do that. So I said, yeah, of course we do that. And they said, great. Can we book a program? I said, yeah, I'm kind of packed the next six weeks, but why don't we try anytime after six weeks from now? And they didn't know. That's when I wrote the program. So I put the whole program together, delivered that, and people kind of liked it. And then six months later, another client said, this is cool. We need some management training. Do you do that? And I said, yes, we do. I can do anything you want in six weeks, right? So that sort of started this training part of the business. 
So I'm still doing the college speaking, but all of a sudden I was finding this training business was growing more, was more repeatable. A college is only going to book me once a year at most, whereas a company might say, hey, we have 120 managers, so let's do six sessions of that management training with 20 people in each session. So that started to grow, and gradually we sort of pivoted the business away from job-bound and over to JB Training Solutions. I love it. I love that. And you know what? I knew that story. The failed at fam did not. It's still a so it's interesting the second time I've heard it. And you are the reason we have so many service offerings, Brad, because you taught me that a really long time ago. And I'm gonna tell you a lot of stuff has happened because somebody has asked for it and then it becomes a thing. And I learned that from this man right here. So I love that. And that can be applied to anybody. I mean, it doesn't have to be in terms of entrepreneurship. If you're in a if you're in a job in corporate America and your boss says, can you do this? And you've never done it before. And you want to say, hey, yes, it's almost like an improv. We say yes and you yes and it and make it happen. And 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 look, you never know where that could take you. And look how far just you yes anding your career has taken you, Brad. That's a really cool. I I've never even really thought of it that way, but you've really You've taken what could have been a no situation and yes, ended the poop out of it. So I like to say poop on this podcast. That's great. Hey, Failed It fam. Are you a leader for a small or large team that's stuck working from home? Are you missing the in-office happy hours or training sessions that allow people to interact and get to know each other? Are you sick of staring at a spreadsheet and you want something that will not only enhance team morale, but also build soft skills? Then Improve It has your back. We've pivoted all 11 of our in-person soft skill training workshops to this virtual environment. Using Zoom, we'll create a memorable hour and a half experience that can train your team on things like effective communication, leadership, thinking quickly on your feet, presentation skills, and networking all in this virtual environment. Leading a team of interns, let us wow them with our Career 101 workshop. Leading a sales team who's figuring out how to cold call or even warm call in this virtual world, have our team of improv professionals facilitate our sales training workshop. If this is the spice that your team needs to get out of this work from home rut, email us at info at learn to improve it.com. Again, that's info at learn to improve it.com. And that's T-O improve it.com. Or you can head to our website, learn to improve it.com to learn more. We would love to help you improve your it virtually, whatever your it might be. Okay, I'm going to get back into this because now you're doing this, you know, full time. This is becoming training and speaking is becoming more of your business or or your entire business. Let me ask you this. Have you ever had a fear of public speaking or is it something that comes natural to you? I'm shaking in my boots right now, Aaron. You must know. <laughs> but I as a kid hated it, was petrified, was super shy. But by the time I sort of got to college, I felt more comfortable doing it. And in my old job, I did a fair bit of presenting, which I enjoyed. So in inherently, I don't have a fear of public speaking. Now, have I been in situations where I have been a little petrified up there? Absolutely. 
And, and again, one of these can fall into the camp of, if you will, failing it. So early on in my career, when I was doing the college speaking, there was a, a small school in downtown Chicago that I spoke at in March. And a couple months later, they said, hey, Brad, would you be my, our commencement speaker? And I was floored. I was like, oh, my God, what an honor. Of course I would. What I found out later is the person that they had scheduled canceled last minute. So I was definitely <laughs> plan B. But, you know, I'm wearing the cap and gown. We did it at the uh, McCormick Theater. can't remember what it's called right now. A lot of people in the audience. And I'm very used to either talking like we are right now extemporaneously or speaking off of a PowerPoint. But I'm not kind of a speech guy. But when you speak on a commencement address, you kind of have to be a speech person. So I wrote this speech out that I thought was kind of cool. And, and I went to deliver it. And as I practiced it, I'm like, well, I don't want to memorize it. But at the same time, I don't want to be reading it. So I kind of half memorized it and half looked at it and half read it. And I was pretty terrible in terms of delivering that presentation. And, and I was standing behind a podium and I could actually feel my leg shaking. And I was like, oh, thank God I'm behind this podium. But normally I love speaking. So it's not a big deal for me at all. So let me ask you this. If somebody listening today wanted to, to ask Brad Karsh, because when I've seen you present, you know, you were always charismatic. You all, you have a presence about you. And let's say somebody in the audience is watching and they're like, how in the world does he do that? And they have a giant fear of public speaking. What What is one piece of advice you would tell them when it comes to overcoming that fear? Yeah. So I, I teach classes on how to speak effectively. So I've trained well over a thousand people on this topic and, and certainly of that many, many, many people either are petrified of it or just dislike it intensely. And one of the things that I tell people is that that nervousness that they feel, it's not nerves, it's adrenaline. And instead of fighting that, you want to embrace it. So just like an athlete feels butterflies before they run a race or play a game, a speaker should feel that little thing in the pit of their stomach. It's more adrenaline as opposed to nervousness. And the people that you're presenting to you actually want you to do well. And oftentimes we think I am presenting and you are the enemy. So realize and recognize no one knows what you're going to say. People are pulling for you. And that thing that you're feeling is adrenaline, not nerves. And that, Aaron, was three tips. And you asked for one. Sorry. Yeah, I'll take it. We'll take it. Failed it, fam. I mean, Brad, that's amazing. And it's so true because it's almost like auditioning back in the day before I was a full-time entrepreneur. I was a full-time corporate America business development gal at a recruiting firm. And I would go on auditions all the time. And I would, I, I would get nervous at auditions. And I had that mentality of almost like, oh, you know, they don't want me to do well. I had this weird block when it came to auditioning. And that was it. It was almost as if I felt like they wanted me to fail. And when I flipped that switch, like they want, they need somebody for this commercial or they need someone for this, whatever it was I was. And, and I did a lot of auditioning for things like contact solutions, cellulite removing cream, very exciting stuff. And I'll tell you that I do think that mindset shift is so powerful. So thank you for that. I, I'm sure somebody listening right now is writing that down because it is juicy. Okay, so I want to keep going with with your 
entrepreneurial journey here, Brad. So now you've got, you've scaled your business, you have multiple facilitators, you have people in London, you have people in Chicago, you've, you've really created this huge business for yourself. Uh, You know, we've heard in your bio, all these great places that you've spoken at and um, all the accolades that you've had, but let's talk about this year. Let's talk about 2020, right? And I know your Courtney has been my rock through a lot of this. So this is truly the first year as a business owner that I've really had to navigate this uncertainty of the economy, let alone the uncertainty of the world. So for you specifically, what did you think as a leader when COVID first happened? And then how have you and your team adapted during this time? You know, obviously, nobody knew it was coming down the pike. And as I said, for a person whose job description is basically hopping on planes, flying around the country, and delivering live talks to huge groups of people, COVID was not something that we would have wished for. And all of a sudden, in March, I came back from my last trip to this big pharmaceutical company in Indy, and then everything got shut down. And we just had to pivot and adapt. In a normal year, we might develop maybe one new training program. And and these days we do it even before people ask for it. We developed 12 new training programs, resiliency, how to deal, how to manage remote workforce, how to present effectively when you're not in the room, all sorts of different programs. And we really pivoted. But at the beginning, it was hard because we had some clients who were like, well, let's hold off on booking anything till this COVID thing's over because we all thought it would be few months. We had other clients who were in businesses that like hospitality or entertainment or those types of things where they were just flattened by COVID. And then we had some that said, yeah, all right, we'll give it a shot and we'll try and do it virtually. So everyone on the team banded together. And and I sort of shared this story with them, which I think was very descriptive for a lot of places. So I uh, I enjoy bicycling. I'm a big cyclist. And in Chicago, the best place to bike is along the lake. So I would bike from my house to the lake and then head south and turn around and come on back. Okay. Now, sometimes when I get on the bike path, the bike would, the wind would be, you know, it's the windy city, right, Aaron? So the wind would be, yeah, the wind would be in my face and, and it would be pretty brutal. And then sometimes, you know, on the way out, but on the way back, I'd have the wind at my back. And then sometimes I'd bike and I'd have the wind at my back and I'd have on the way out and then I'd have it in my face on the way back. What I said to my team is, I dramatically prefer to have the wind in my face on the way out. Now, it's hard. Why? You have to put in way more work. You have to drive way more effort. Sometimes it feels like you have to pedal as hard as you possibly can to avoid going backwards. Mm-hmm. At some point, at some point, the wind is going to change. And you're going to have it at your back. And all that hard work you put in, all that effort you put in is going to suddenly make everything way, way easier. And that's exactly the message that I shared with them during this pandemic. I said, right now, as we were looking at April and May and June and July, I said, right now, what we're doing is we are biking into the wind. We are working so hard to get half as much business. We are putting forth all sorts of new things. We have to go as hard as we can just to avoid going backwards. But that wind is going to shift. And all this effort we put in and the work and the way we invested in our people, we didn't cut anybody. We made sure that we kept 
everybody's spirits as high as we could. We looked out for everybody's personal and mental health in addition to making sure that they were feeling safe in what they were doing. And then all of a sudden, it did start to pay off. And those contacts that we made and programs that we developed and the way that we believed in each other paid off in spades as the wind kind of flipped and moved to our back. Man, Brad, write that down somewhere. We need that somewhere. Okay. That's that metaphor spoke to me. I'm sure a lot of people listening, it spoke to them. I think I was with you. (laughs) (laughs) I was on the lakefront, my man. I mean, I was, I'm going to say that I feel like as a leader or, you know, especially as a business leader, if you own your own business, I feel like that was exactly, I mean, I felt like I got windburn. I got, you know, I had tears because of the wind. I had, you know, there was like bird poop flying. There's poop again flying in my helmet. There was like all kinds of stuff on that, you know, in, into the wind moment. And it's so true. I think everything that you just said makes so much sense. I think it's such an interesting time. And I know, you know, speaking with Courtney, you had been through 2008, 2009, the recession. And as a leader myself, I had never been through something like this. So, you know, to have the opportunity to look to you and your team and for you to give that leadership and advice, I know is so invaluable. And it's really spoke to me, which I'm sure a lot of people listening, it's going to speak to them as well. So let me ask you this. You have three cute little boys, right? And I want to fast forward. I want to look ahead. It's 2030, okay? 2030. What will you tell those three cute batutes about 2020, about this year? Whoa, yes. I will say that it was a period of a lot of difficulties, but also amazing opportunities. As I know a lot of people have said, let's focus on the bright spot. So yeah, my kids aren't at school, but I get to hang out with them a little bit more, a lot more, a ton more. I'm not traveling at all. I'm not having to lead my family. We're figuring out new things that we love to do, and we're figuring out ways to really, really annoy each other effectively. <laughs> master those. That's a new workshop. How to annoy your family yes, effectively. Exactly. Active annoyance. Yes. That's, that's like a 12-hour workshop because there's so yes. much good material there. But I think, I think I'll tell them that I was really proud of the way that they made their way through it, and I was really proud of their resilience and how they responded. And what we did as a family and how we bonded. I love that. Okay. Let me ask you this now. So you mentioned you traveled a lot. You were always on planes. Similar here. I felt like, you know, I have a new little guy. He's 16 months now. And as he started to grow and I came back from maternity leave, I was, you know, the the pool of leaving him was hard. So do you ever, before COVID, did you ever have this guilt of being away from your kids? And then how did you overcome that as a speaker, as an entrepreneur, as a leader? Yeah, that's that's really insightful and interesting. And, and I think a lot of people obviously deal with that. So the way I justified it is that, yes, I was gone a fair bit and anywhere from 35 to 50 nights a year. But mm-hmm. I, when I wasn't gone, I was around a ton. So, so much of what I was doing was focused on the speaking. And and thankfully, I have this amazing team led by Courtney that would handle a lot of the logistical elements of it. So, if I wasn't on a plane somewhere speaking, I'd come home at 3.30 and I'd hang out with them. 
I took a lot of vacation, like 10 weeks of vacation. And we would go yeah. places and do things. So I always made sure that I was balancing it. I'm like, I could work nine to six and take a couple weeks vacation every year and maybe have to commute. But I had my office in my home for a long time. And now my office, at least when we go back, is four tenths of a mile from where I am. So again, I could have breakfast with them. I could be home. I leave the office at 3.30. I'm home at 3.33. And That's amazing. Those were the kinds of ways that I was able to balance it and and really appreciate and take advantage of that time we did have together. Yeah. And I think that's such an interesting mindset shift for a lot of people in 2020. I think obviously people who are dealing with the virtual learning and working from home with the virtual learning is a whole new challenge in itself. But I do think for me as a person who who traveled a lot, who was constantly on the road, it has inspired me to find creative ways. And like you said, now that we've gone through the lakefront with the wind smacking us, you know, and we're kind of going away from the wind right now, I think it's an interesting twist to think about how you can incorporate some of that back into your life once the world reopens. I've always wondered that question. So thanks for answering that because as a, you know, I think a lot of people ask women, you know what I mean? And I've always wanted to ask you because I know you travel just as much as all of us. And I, it's, it's different from being, a, from being a parent as an entrepreneur is a whole new can of worms for me. So just navigating that, Brad, inquiring minds wanted to know, aka me. I hope that serves somebody else out there too. Well, let me ask you this. So we've learned a lot about your background. We've learned a lot about JB. We've learned about your team. We've learned about you. What would you say? And we've learned through your successes and your failures. And you know, in improv, we don't call them fails. We call them gifts because there are no mistakes on stage. Anything that happens on stage becomes a part of the scene and we accept it and we bring it in and make it happen, which is essentially what I feel like all of 2020 is, is accepting these gifts, right? So What are three action items that you would tell somebody in the Failed It family today that they could learn by learning from your gifts? What are three things they could do? And they wanted to take action today. What would they be? Well, I always tell people you have to be able to handle rejection or a different form of gift, I guess, if you will, Aaron. You have to be able to handle rejection. Like I've been rejected relentlessly over and over and over again. You have to be willing, if you want to be an entrepreneur or a successful one, you have to be willing to sell yourself or your services. And aspiring entrepreneurs, I tell a lot of them, if you are not comfortable selling, you're not going to be comfortable as an entrepreneur. I have never been in a position where the company just sells itself. We are always selling stuff. And I know there are other entrepreneurs who have been lucky and like, Brad, I never even look for business. It just knocks on my door. We haven't been that company. So most people aren't, you have to be able to be able to sell and then really trust and empower your people. Those, anybody can start a company with one person, right? Aaron, you did it. I did it, but it doesn't really become a company until you bring in that second person. And once you do that, it's all about how can I develop them? How can I trust them? How can I empower them to be successful? That is it, Brad. And one thing I want to comment on is that you mentioned, you know, I tell successful, I tell inspiring or aspiring entrepreneurs this all the time. And I will say this, I will never forget 
you taking an hour out of your day to sit down and have coffee with me. And what you said, you said, I'm paying it forward. People did this for me. I will do it for them. And I have thought about that every single time I have sat down to help somebody else. So thank you. And for for just you being a resource, it's such a powerful thing. And you've helped me in so many ways. So I'm sure you've helped so many other people out there. Going to keep going with a couple more questions about your fails here, Brad, because I want to know, you know what, improve it. We say improve it. And we say your it is whatever you want it to be. So improve your it, whatever your it might be. What would you say after learning from your quote unquote gifts is your it or your life's purpose? Well, we we talk a lot at the company and, and I like this too, about how we want to make work better. And we spend so much time at work, it fills up so much of our brain, it can cause us, unfortunately, a lot of stress, but also derive a lot of pleasure from it. So our goal, our job, our it is to make work better for people. And by maybe helping improve relationships, or helping them get over their fear of speaking, or helping them become a better manager, or deal with resilience, or understand the different generations, all those things, if we can help make work better, that's what our it is. I love it. Now, Brad, what would you do if you knew you could not fail? I would probably try out for the Cubs. <laughs> I mean, if I really wasn't going to fail. Or I'd play the lottery, I guess, if I knew I wasn't going to fail. Yeah, go get a ticket today. Yeah. I like that. Do it. Yeah, I don't know. I, done a lot of things. My dream in life, Aaron, like my true dream, which will never happen. I would love to be a rock star. I would love to stand on a stage in a theater with 20,000 people in a stadium with 20,000 people all singing along my songs. That would be my like crazy, crazy dream. Oh, Brad Karshwerk, I love you. This is why we're kindred spirits. That's mine too. And I knew I could see it. So Brad Karsh, like you would be like, um, you know what you could do? You could be like, um, oh man, what's his name? Oh God. He came to the, he came to Wrigley. Why am I blanking? Oh my God. Billy Joel. Billy Joel. Billy. We went to a Billy Joel concert at Wrigley. So you could have two birds, one stone. You could be in Wrigley Field with your concert. That could be the dream. The Brad Karsh dream. I feel like that could happen. Bottle of white. Now, see, once you hear me sing, you'll realize that I cannot fulfill that dream. I felt a vibrato. There was a vibrato through the microphone. So you're you're getting there. All you're right, getting there. All right. Okay. All right. Well, this is the final thing. I have a round called the Fail Yeah Lightning Round. And this is a little surprise, Brad. So there's a little improv here, a little thinking quickly on your feet. And I'm going to ask you a series of questions. And I want you to just respond as fast as you can with only one word answers. And no, you cannot fail. But if you say more than one word, I'm going to give you a big fail. Yeah. Just like that. Just like a weird fail. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Brad, are you ready for the fail? Yeah. Lightning round. Yes. Was that the question? That's it, but you nailed it because you gave one word. So great. Here we go. One word to describe your early career. Failure. One word to describe where you're currently at in your career. Happy. One word to describe your future self. Happy. One word to describe your favorite boss. Cutler. (laughs) One word to describe your least favorite boss. 
conniving. Uh, one word to describe your speaking style. Energetic. One word to describe your work from home fashion style. Pajamas. One word to describe this interview. Fun. Brad, gosh, you nailed it. You didn't fail it. I'm giving you a round of applause. Yes. Oh, my God. That was good. That was good. Okay. So, Brad, how can the Failed It family find you, all the things, website, social, all the stuff? Yes. So, jbtrainingsolutions.com is the website. I'm at bkarsh at jbtrainingsolutions.com. I'm on the Twitter, the LinkedIn, the Facebook thing, all that stuff. You name it, we are on it. So if you just search for JB Training Solutions or you search for Brad Karsh, I think I'm the only one out there. That's it. And we're going to link to all of that in the show notes today. So first off, thank you to the Failed It fam so much for listening. Tell us more of what you want. And you can do that at info at learn to improve it. We always listen to your recommendations. We love having Brad on this show. And we want to know what you think about today's episode. Brad, thank you. I should say Brad Karsh because I only I always say Brad Karsh. Thank you for being here, for being my mentor for gifting me and the Improve It team, the gift of the JB team. And hello to my sisters at JB Training. And thank you so much for gifting all of us with your talents and the training that you provide and for sharing your quote unquote gifts with us today. And they serve as reminders that we have to fail in order to improve. And you have found the right JB solutions to help us make work better in the most chalant way possible. You are the best. Thank you, Brad. Thanks, Erin. This was awesome. And thanks for doing this. I'm sure it is providing a ton of value, not this particular talk, but the other talks you've had. <laughs> a lot of no. people out there. And oh, you're amazing. You're amazing. We love you, Brad. Thank you. Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to Failed It. I'm so happy you're along for the ride. And if you enjoyed today's show, head on over to iTunes to rate and subscribe so you never miss an episode. New episodes drop every Wednesday. I'll see you next week, but want to leave you with this thought. What will you fail at today? And how will that help your future successful self? Think about it. I'm proud of you and you are totally failing it. See you next time.